this gender for me is intentional. Welcome to the Fuck Yeah podcast, where we say fuck yeah to high femmes. My name is Robin, and I am here with my ever-vibrant co-host, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi. And Sarah, you have any fuck yeahs going on in your life right now? Ooh, I do. I think that, oof. Oh, you know what? Let's keep it sexy. Yeah, please do. So I am... A big fan of IUDs for a variety of reasons. Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, through a variety of circumstances of just like hormonal changes, et cetera, my girlfriend got an IUD a couple months back and we, I thought we were prepared, but we weren't totally prepared for the never ending period oh. that was going to ensue. How long now? It was almost three months. Shut up. Very light. And so, you know, that's way better than, you know, for a lot of folks, they're getting IUDs to help really extreme bleeding. Yeah. Which, you know, particularly as like a vegan person, like her iron levels can get really low. And that's and, why she got it? Yes. And it was great that it was addressing fatigue and some of these other health issues that relate to periods for all of us. But a bummer because, you know, our sex yeah. doesn't exist in the same way if she is constantly bleeding. And she has stopped bleeding. <laughs> Praise be. I don't know that it was necessarily that I felt like we were really missing something. But right. like once I got it back, I was like, oh, this is so like this really, really means a lot to me. Yes. And I, I missed all of this. Yes. Yeah. I'm happy. So for that's you. giving me a fuck yeah feeling. Good. I love that. Yes. Well, I'm excited about the interview today. I got to put you on the hot seat, <laughs> which I um I, I find you infinitely interesting mm. and to hear your thoughts about gender and our relationship and, and all this was really wonderful. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with all of our listeners and please listeners, if you have any comments, corrections, insights, or you want to suggestions, share your own stories. What are you feeling fuck yeah about? We'd love to hear it. We'd love to answer questions, reply to your comments, and we'd love to feature some of your stories on the podcast because this is a communal way of learning and enjoying and oversharing, oversharing, feeling seen about something that maybe you have never talked to anybody about. We want to hear about that sort of thing. We love Absolutely. It. Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's do it. I don't know what to expect. All right. So just warm up. What's the latest picture in your phone? Oh, Ruby and I took a photo shoot together. Uh-huh. A photo shoot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She wanted to do dress up. So I had her tiara. Oh, okay. Most recent photo is her making a fire with my neighbor, Kristen. Uh-huh. And she is wearing 
her brand new patent leather fancy shoes. This is my daughter, Ruby, who's seven, about to be seven. Her fancy patent leather shoes that she was doing gymnastics in. A pair of dirty shorts that she pulled out of the dirty clothes and bunny ears. That's great. Yeah. She's a fashion inspiration. <laughs> she is. It's getting weird and I love it. I'm here for it. Who was your first celebrity crush? <sighs> Maybe Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, which one? Well, Titanic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's the first thing that I don't think that's my actual first crush. My first crush in yeah. my entire life was my stepdad Scott's best friend Cardi Talkington. I was probably Cardi Talkington? Yes. He's amazing. He's a musician. He he made the film Love in a 45. Uh-huh. He was cool. Yeah. Really cool. And I was probably 5 and you know when you twist the apple stem? Uh-huh. I made it come off at sea i don't understand what that means do do you know when you do the did you do this as a kid no you hold the apple stem and you twist your apple and you go a b c d and the letter that it falls off on is like your true love is the first letter of your true love's name i never heard of that oh yeah i don't this is my only memory of interacting with that game but i i twisted a b C and at C I pulled it off. It seems like C would be a, a it, common name. Yeah, oh well, and it would fall off very easily at C, right? But it was—I mean, I was five or six. We were still living in Texas, so I couldn't have been older than six. Like as a Robin, I feel like I would never be anybody's soulmate. No, under those. No, um, it's a—it's a or forget about if you're Zelda. <laughs> ridiculous game. Oh um, yeah. So wait. So what was it about? Leonardo DiCaprio, though. Well, okay, here was my teenage years, like preteen years, burgeoning sexuality. I believed you had to be straight, even though my uncle was gay. So he really paved the way in my family. I believed you had to be straight. So therefore, I had to be attracted to men. And so then it was very effeminate men. Right. That I was attracted to. And my, the only, you know, like boyfriend, I had like kind of boyfriends and not really like everyone was having sex. I was not. But the boyfriend that I had in high school who I really thought I love was a dancer. Uh He had this like masculinity that was so, I mean, my gay best friend who I didn't know was gay. Everyone else knew he was gay. Also at a period of time, I thought I was in love with. So there was this like, Okay, I could be attracted to boys as long as they were very like in touch with their femininity or their physicality was feminine. Lanky bodies was really a thing for me. And then that changed once I realized like, oh, it's masculinity I'm attracted to. So now like the women that I'm attracted to are disrupting traditional notions of femininity. And I think that that is at the core of my sexuality is some sort of disruption of like that is a through line between everyone I've been attracted to, everyone I've been in a relationship with, is that there is some sort of gender fuckery right. that's happening. I love that. I imagine Leo at that time, he had a very like very really, pretty, very pretty yeah. and really like having the hairstyles and, and the general style of what young lesbians or dykes yeah. are doing at that time yeah. like the beaver haircut was the yeah. baby dyke haircut of that yeah. time yeah 
So I could imagine. Yeah, Leo, that's really great. I know. I love that. So silly. <laughs> but also, you know, Kate Winslet in Titanic for right. me, I think was the first time that I was like, that's the gender that I want. And I didn't realize that at the time, but she was so high femme. She had some curves, yeah. which is ridiculous now when I right. look back. I'm right. like, she did not actually have curves. Right. She just was not completely stick thin. Right. So for me, I was able to attach to her. So there was something between both, of, like she was sort of high, like imagine her as the high femme and Leonardo DiCaprio in that film as the like kind of scrawny dyke right. or something. And that, you know, so that held appeal for me. And I had no idea what that was about at the time. Yeah. What was your first mode of masturbation? Oh, you are going to love this. I can't wait. So I consider myself to be a real late bloomer. Mm -hmm. And I, like I said, I was not having sex in high school. However, in the third grade, what? Mm -hmm. We moved every year. So I, my childhood is broken up by grades. I can't even tell you how old you are in the third grade, but I know I was in the third grade because my, my friend, and this is also true for me that like I had a friend mm -hmm. because I was always the new kid in school and I changed schools a lot. I relate a hundred percent. So my friend was Andrea. I think it was Andrea. And we just became really tight. We would make up dances in the backyard. My mom made us some costumes. We would dance to like Madonna, Janet Jackson, Paula Abdul. We'd do dance routines and we did sleepovers. And so she taught me this thing that she would do because she would get her doll and she'd turn all the lights out and tell a scary story wow. while humping her doll. And I didn't even realize until becoming like a sex educator that I was masturbating at that yeah. age didn't even occur to me. And I had a Cabbage Patch doll from childhood. The Cabbage Patch dolls had very hard plastic head. Right. So you could hump them. <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much. Really well. Yeah. And we would tell each other scary stories about like witches in the forest and it being dark. And I can't even remember if we did this a whole bunch of times or if it was just maybe once or twice, but it had a very lasting impact. And it helped me realize that the humping orgasm is something that a lot of people, I think, have a hard time, like maybe getting to the point where they accept is their mode of getting off mm -hmm. but there are certain toys like the leia spot once i saw that toy i was like oh that is like a bulbous hard toy that curves that you can lay on top of and hump anyone who is a humper when i share this with them they feel so seen it had it not been from that like third that grade hard little experience head. of masturbating that way I would not have learned that that is like a totally valid way to get off and yeah I have multiple things to say in response one it's I'm reimagining the Toy Story movies now <laughs> if they had been in your bedroom mm -hmm. <laughs> and two I've been thinking a lot about the shape of the clitoris mm. and how we now know that it is so much larger mm -hmm. and wraps around the opening of the vagina. And I've been thinking about the homologous. Homologous. I, I call it analogous. 
But I do think homoanalogous is what I want to say. Analogous. But it's homologous. No, I recently was trying okay. to anyway. We have to look up the pronunciation uh, of this word. Homologous. I, anyway, homologous. the corresponding part. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Between the, you know, a penis and the vulva or the penis and the clitoris, and thinking about how it's really like the shaft of the clitoris just enwraps around and is basically the whole vulva. And I and it was making me think about how humping I had always kind of like not related to that much. I'm like a tip of the iceberg kind of person, like clitoris tip, tip, tip all the time. But I've been engaging more of the entire vulva lately because my sexuality is starting to change for a number of reasons. And I'm kind of rediscovering a lot of things. And I was thinking about how humping is really like stroking a cock type Mm -hmm. of thing. And that Mm -hmm. knowing this information now about the true shape of the clitoris is making me think like of ways I can change and diversify my stimulation with this new knowledge. And that, I don't know, it just makes me think of that with this humping thing of like, yes, of course, humping makes total sense, but it's not generally thought of as something that females do. You know, it's interesting because young children, you will see like Mm four-year-old will gravitate to like the corners of furniture and sort of rub on them for comfort. And what usually happens is that someone comes along and shames them for that and says, don't do that. That's not, ma- you know, and it's equating it as masturbation. But mm-hmm. actually what it is, is it's an indirect access to those very sensitive nerve endings. Mm-hmm. And I've learned so much because most of my friends are tip of the iceberg, click, 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 yeah. like give me direct clit stimulation all day long kind of people. And that's so fascinating to me because I never use a vibrator mm-hmm. above its like lowest setting or very rarely do I. I often will use pressure on the pubic mound when masturbating, either just with my hands or just take a toy and put it onto my pubic mound. I've tried wands because everybody says, oh, wands are the best. I have to put like multiple layers of objects between me and the wand. Sure. Because I am not a clit gal. Like that's just not, not that I don't love external stimulation. I do, but you cannot put a vibrator directly onto my clit unless you're trying to torture me. Yeah. And I mean, in which case, you know, pro tip now, you know, so, so what, what stimulation does do it for you? I get off mostly through penetration. Interesting. Well, I know it's so, I'm like, it's, I never share that when I'm teaching because I feel like so many people are having to work against the right. assumption, presumption, expectation that you can get off through penetrative mm-hmm. sex. For me, it's absolutely how I get off. And like the deeper, the harder, the better. I love geez, I, I love urethral sponge, like mm. shallow targeted urethral sponge stimulation that can get me off. But like my go to is positions where something large and long mm-hmm. is thrusting pretty hard into like the very back of my vagina. Like, like the A spot. Yep. Getting to that backside of the cervix. Like my girlfriend says to me all the time, like, where does my cock go? I don't understand how you take this. Yeah. And there's just something that happens for me. Like once I get aroused, like my vaginal canal really stretches 
And like, I'm like, get it all the way back there, please. Okay. <laughs> so I know this interview is about you, mm -hmm. but I am a Leo. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit about me. So I started taking Lexapro because 2020 and, <laughs> and the never ending 2020 and, and other things, which has been a great help to me. But I had this period of about three weeks where I could not orgasm. I would try and try and try using all my usual things not happening. And then there was a breakthrough that actually almost broke my body. I was literally hobbling for four days. Okay. But we had this In break. Way. We, yes. Well, it was pain. But anyway, so we had this sex where it felt all I want. I was like, you got to go deeper and you got to go harder, deeper, harder, deeper, harder, deeper. Bam, 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 bam. And I was responding. Usually I'm like, lay back and, you know, let this sex wash over me kind of person. But I've lately been turning into this hitting back on him. And because I just, I, it's like this itch that I need to scratch yeah. and I'm like, get it in there harder, deeper. I cannot get enough. And that's what I ruined my hip flexor because <laughs> I overexerted myself and I was literally limping for okay, four okay. days. Yeah, so it but, wasn't your pussy that was a, no, my pussy was like was you <laughs> Yeah, no, she's real tough. So I had this orgasm that I felt all of those missed orgasms came mm -hmm. all at once mm -hmm. and it. Shook my body. It was this crazy full body orgasm seizure. Yeah. And then it happened again, but not, I mean, it was very intense, but it wasn't like that. It like that first one was a breakthrough, I think. So anyway, I think I'm turning into more of like a vaginal penetration person. Whereas I've always been a tip of the iceberg person. Anyway, I'm just going to have to ask you more about all of that because yeah. I, I do feel like I'm, I'm in a different body emotionally now mm -hmm. and, um, and sexually. I think too, we should definitely get into this sometime in depth because there, you know, there's all this information that's out there around like, what are the different types of orgasms? Let's classify them. And I think that that can be difficult for people because it kind of creates this scenario that there's like division between them. Uh -huh. But I think actually what happens is that there is just so much potential mm -hmm. in our genitals for varying layers of sensations and pleasurable experiences. And when you are investing in your sexuality, you get on this almost like ebb and flow. It's like an ocean where you, it morphs and changes and then you return back because like certainly I have experiences where I have, well, I have a partner now who loves oral sex. Mm -hmm. I mean, she loves giving it. She loves receiving it. And that was hard for me when we well, not it was not nothing about our sex life was hard for me when we first got together. Let me clarify. That. Right, right, right. But it was this thing of like, this is so hot to her that I need to just give over to having this experience. Not that I don't I love eating pussy, but as far as receiving, it's just not really my go-to. Mm -hmm. And now I experience very satisfying orgasms from oral sex 
that have just never really been in my repertoire. And it's not that I don't think that they weren't there or that somehow, you know, it's like this really different kind of orgasm than the other orgasms I have. It does feel a little different, but it's just because I'm getting stimulated in a different way. And there's all this space now for that kind of exploration in my sex that I used to be like, oh, no, I can't. I don't get off that way. Right. Or like if you're putting your mouth on my pussy, you better also have, you know, three fingers inside me or whatever. Right. right. And I yeah. think that's what's so it is like a sexual journey or like you're saying this waves because you do return and your path is winding and might return to certain spaces. But it, it does seem endless. I feel like the more you explore, the more there is. Mm -hmm. It's just, and it's ever evolving and changing. So it's, we do have to rediscover our bodies on a regular basis. Yeah. And it's, but that is true of everything. You know, I think some people think, oh, I can't go on this journey. It's just, I don't have orgasms or I don't have intense orgasms. And it's, I had a period in my life where I sort of said to myself, like, I'm never going to get into a really excellent workout routine. Right. And then guess what? My fucking life fell apart and it was like I needed it and I just invested in it regardless that I didn't have a workout partner. Right. And I made a practice of it. And now I'm someone who works out five days a week because it makes me feel better. It makes me feel more whole. So it's a practice just like anything else. And I think that there's because there's so little information that we're given and also now the access to the information is censored so heavily mm-hmm. it's just never gotten integrated into our like communal ver- vernacular so people think that it's this unicorn war- like having a really involved sexual practice is yeah. just something that other people do right or or e- even just the idea that all of our lives are constantly evolving our bodies are constantly changing when i was younger i thought oh this is when you are an adult now you're an adult you're living your life in and and it's kind of centered around the idea of when you're in your 20s and 30s that's when you're you and then you start becoming old or whatever that's when your sexuality happens and then it starts going away yeah or whatever and it's like man I'm glad I didn't peak in my 20s (laughs) and in a lot of ways even the way my body looks and things like that it's changed but I'm really loving it at the same time I mean there's the days where I'm like oh wow I'm a (laughs) hundred you know and then there's other days where I'm like oh I feel like I really find like they're having sex I blew out my yeah it's the oldest thing to do right is to like mess up your body through sex anyway will you describe to me what orgasms are like for you an orgasm for me is one of the few moments in my life in my day where I release so there's this holding that happens for me pretty consistently and an orgasm cracks all of the walls that contain it all and there's just flow Mm -hmm. and it's flow of sensation connection i am tapped into the love of the universe i am my best self my uh if i'm having sex with a partner my partner is their most open Mm -hmm. connected self and it is it's like i imagine you know when a soprano hits that just like 
perfect note at kind of the top of their range Mm -hmm. is what it feels like. It is like my chest is singing (sighs) release, openness, but also, you know, this just receptivity. It's a give take energetic experience. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I feel like it gets to, you know, for lack of the better word, like close to God type of experience, mm-hmm. which is part of why I find it so baffling that it's so hidden and that we don't talk about it. Yeah. I wanted to read something. I'm reading a book called The Lost Art of Listening, and the writing is questionable at times, <laughs> but there's this phrase that I wanted to mention. In the presence of a receptive listener, we are able to clarify what we think and discover what we feel. Thus, in giving an account of our experience to someone who listens, we are better able to listen to ourselves. Our lives are defined in dialogue. And I think it really gets into the issue that we as a culture have with sexuality. If we are not talking about these things, listening to you talk about your orgasm, it's different how I would describe it. But it's also profoundly resonates with me. Yeah. You know, and it's if we're not talking about these things, imagine we're living a world where we never talk about our sexuality and how alienating and lonesome that is. Yeah. Especially amongst our peers and, and you know, our gender or whatever, to not see that out in the world and hear about it is remarkably sad to me. I... As a queer person, really am resonating with what you're saying because I did not, I was not able to know myself until I had the shared experience with other queers. And it, and like I said, my uncle was gay. He paved the way in my family. I was not up against this mountain of, I mean, granted, a lot of my family is from the South. So there's stuff there. Mm But it wasn't this like life or death. My family is going to disown me if they realize that I'm gay. We had to go through our own battles. But I wasn't able to be whole until I had the experience of sharing with other people, hearing about their lives. And then that got so wrapped up into sexuality for me. And it gave me permission to finally be a sexual person, which I had not had up until that point. But that brings me into my bigger question for you. Okay. Which again, I'll start with talking about myself. So (laughs) I grew up in a way where, well, my mother grew up with a high femme mother. And she was very critical and like would stuff my mom's bra and like also and put, you know, do all sorts of things to her in the 60s that my mother hated. Like my mother had to wear as a five-year-old girl, she told me she would fall asleep on her face. She would form pillows around her face because she had to wear these curlers in her hair that hurt oh. her head. And that to me is just the epitome. And, you know, you see pictures of her in the 50s and she has these Shirley Temple kind of curls and looks mm-hmm. like that perfect little white girl in the 50s. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it comes at a price. So by the time she was an adult she had rejected all of this femininity Mm -hmm. and it was also at the time of you know the rise of feminism and she wanted to be a working woman 
And she really felt like she had to present in a more masculine way. I mean, she would wear the business suits. I mean, the, um, you know, skirts and stuff like that, because it was required right in the office to do that sort of thing. But as soon as she didn't have to, she was in suits. You know, I remember distinctly her going out to a New Year's Eve party wearing a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. that is it. I remember thinking she was so hot in that. And, you know, it's weird to think your mom's hot, I guess, but whatever. She was. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Shaming myself. So um, she, uh, and then my father has a kind of typical kind of, of a boomer man, kind of entitlement mixed with with resentment around women. (laughs) And so growing up for me. What a wonderful combination. (laughs) Right. So for me, I really felt like the rejection of femininity, femininity was basically in my household, an insult. And I tried to completely reject it to, um, in order to not get dragged down by it. Mm -hmm. Like I almost didn't want people to know that I was female, Yeah, you know, and then doming really helped me try to find a power position with it, but still men are coming in and paying you to be a sexualized bitch, you know, right. and that's still kind of under the patriarchy's foot. It's within the patriarchal structure. Yeah. And so I still struggled with that. And I would say once I met you and a few other high femmes, but it particularly you showed me what femininity could be mm-hmm. in this like other way that it could be a choice it could be a power play in real life not just under the fake patriarchal structure yeah um that it could be an expression of oneself and that it could be glorified Mm -hmm. drag queens show me that as well yes where i for a while i was like i want to be a drag queen yeah you know well they let me don't we all (sighs) because you can take all the trappings enlarge it and make it into this fantastical mystical being um and it's really queerness the idea even learning the term term high femme mm-hmm. i was like yes that's yeah. what it is and now and i view you as a power femme the way you were coming into the office and last time we talked you said that you were 25 when you started running the pleasure chest. Is yeah. that right? Yes. Crazy to me that 25, I was like high at Burning Man. That's all I had going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I remember you showing up to the office and there would be times where I'm like, I would feel like I do not have it together. Like it was all I could do to drag my ass out of bed and maybe brush my hair and put on whatever like sloppy outfit to go to work. And you would show up in this, I'm like, this bitch has it together. She knows what she's doing. It gave off this aura of if I can do all of this, I can do anything. I am showing up yeah. for this shit, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's so much power. It wasn't diminutive at all. It was empowering. So my question for you is, what is your connection, your growth into your space your view of femininity. Oh my gosh. There's so many layers to that. I mean, it's so funny wearing jeans today. Yeah. And that at that time in my life, wearing jeans was like, I had a pair for when we had to do physical things. And also like, let me just be clear. Like I really appreciate 
people who can be casual, but I would not give myself permission to do that. I would never come to the office in jeans. Why? Because, so there's like a few layers to it. Mostly my relationship with my femininity is very empowered. But I think in that professional context, it was a bit of a shield Yeah, in the sense of, you know, my grandmother, my Nana was high femme. Mm -hmm. And so she is the one who gave me a connection. My mom has a similar experience to your mom where, you know, she's, she was a costume designer. She's retired now, but like she was never showy with her fashion. She wore all black. Right. It was fairly neutral. It wasn't that she totally rejected her femininity, but like she and my, like my aunt, I have photos, like, like I'm a baby and my aunt is repairing her car. Right. Right. So they were not femi, but my grandmother was very put together. Her husband died in the Vietnam war he did not need to go. He was 39. He left her with five kids. She had to get a career real fast. Yeah. And she worked her femininity in a male-dominated world in a way where she let people believe that she was subservient. Right. But it was survival for her. Yeah. So there's a, there are ways that I think that that seeped into my consciousness around I am really deeply connected to my femininity. And this is a way that I can show up and be professional, have everything together, have my makeup done. And this makes me feel empowered. Yeah. Wearing shoes that make noise on the ground while you're walking around. So there, there is some posturing to it. Yeah. And I think I'm in a place now where I'm having to try to like there was so much of this stripping away. Like I feel like my life got kind of stripped down to the studs and that's not a bad thing. And what do you think did that? Oh my gosh. So many things. Getting divorced, leaving my job of 11 years, going into COVID as a single parent, yeah. just having started a business that yeah. was not off the ground yet, being in a relationship with a partner who then experienced really traumatic losses yeah. and having to like be in that grief space with her like all of the posturing is out the window at that point now I'm sort of back to this place with my femininity which is more of my true relationship with it where I am very gay <laughs> like <laughs> so gay I love women yeah I love having sex with women. I love being in relationships with women. And I also came into my queerness in the early 2000s in Portland, moved back to Los Angeles where there was just this like really strong andro right. vibe. If you walked into a space and you were feminine, people were like what outright shaming you. Right. And I had my first love really gave me a lot of positive reinforcement around like my dyke phase mm. and moving away from my femininity and my body rejected it. Like everything in my whole being rejected, being disconnected from my femininity. What, what did that um, anti-femininity phase look like? A period of time I was really playing with like keeping my hair really short, but staying very strongly connected to my femininity. But I was like suddenly like, oh, maybe I'm not straight. Maybe I'm gay. 
So maybe I have to let go of some of this femininity mm-hmm. in order to embody this queer identity. This is a very common experience yes. for a lot of femmes. It, it's a common assumption, yes. I think. And that's what I was thinking, like when I started coming into that like queer space, it's like, oh, I can be as masculine as I want. Yes. But then these high femmes would start coming in and I'm like, what is this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that heart, that first heartbreak, really feeling like some of my rejection was centered around my femininity. And then I, there were these bastions of light, like the miracle whips. And I love burlesque, like even like straight femme performers. And I was like, no, no, no. Like if, if gender is a performance, right? then we also get to perform our assigned gender this gender for me is intentional. And so I think at the stage where then I'm in this work life, it's like, oh, but I also get to do this work drag. Yeah. Yes. Work drag. I love this that. This is like, this is everything for me because I get to have this kind of like high femme persona of my grandmother Yeah, that I idolized but it was not in a subservient stance. Yeah. And I would say your presentation um, had a lot of that, like somewhat retro, but very modern mm-hmm. at the same time yeah. and doing yeah. those kinds of cuts that really like flatter the body type. And I just, it's very interesting. There is a body image thing to it though, too, yeah. where I felt, you know, I've never been skinny. And when I was being sort of pushed more into a masculine identity, the way that society is like, well, you now don't have any sexuality at all. And I was becoming so in touch with my sexuality. So this like kind of stripping away of sexuality, I just had to then find, I'm like, no, like I am a curvy feminine person who also wants to perform my gender. So it was this mix of a whole bunch of things, like wanting to feel empowered in my body, wanting to feel empowered in my identity and wanting to feel empowered in my sexuality. And that's that perf- that's what feminist for me is, yeah. is it's this like intentional assertion of the intersections of all of these aspects of my identity. Yeah my confidence really started to grow. And that's what I think of like my early years back in LA being, it was just like this real confidence builder. Yeah. And being like, I am a very sexual person. I am a very queer person. I am a very performative person. And I turned down my graduate program at Columbia in social work to stay in LA and make clothes and wait tables. Fuck yeah. I'm glad you did. And I took a job at Babeland. Yes. And my parents lost their goddamn minds and I found myself. Great. I fucking love it. Yeah. Well, I feel like what I learned from this conversation is even people who seem like they have their gender presentation all kind of worked out. It is really this fluid process that we arrive at in that moment and that is constantly moving and changing. 
Like I do still think of you as this like super high femme, but now that you're talking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, there, there has been a lot of like life things that you do seem not relaxed, but just like you're, you're not putting on as much like costumery as you used to, but you have a different life now. But also I wonder about like, you know, where it's going to go over time. Like I always imagine myself over time, I'm going to get, as I get older, I'm planning on getting louder. Like I've told Max, like it's going to get weirder as we go on. I do always feel like my presentation is always a little bit defiant. Uh, No, (laughs) maybe I should start trying to think more about other ways to please myself instead of being like, you're not going to forget about me as I get old. (laughs) Well, I think there was something earlier that we were talking about with like aging and I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. we have not even gotten to the stage where I can't wait. Like, I feel like the sexually empowered, personally empowered seniors that I know or I've come across like are just like oh you don't even know what sex sexual exploration is or like Mm. the stripping down of all of the expectations or the things that hold you back or whatever I think for some people as they get older they just get more and more and more and more themselves yes and I think about that coming of age in the 20s and 30s it's pressing like you have to know yourself you have to explore all of these things. And for me now, where I think I've like relaxed a little bit on like gender presentation stuff is just that like, it will always be there. Yeah. It still exists. It's just sometimes like the performative stuff exists a little bit more in those private spaces, being both like my sexual exploration with a partner and also play with my child. Yeah. We, I forget whenever I'm like sort of at my wits end of, oh, what parenting tool can I use right now? Or like, thing can we do? I'm like, dress up. It's like, so it is such a natural space for us to go into together. And it's so fun. And I realize that it keeps me connected to that part of myself too. And we do it in a way where I feel like it's not making her a pretty pretty princess right it's like it gets weird too. yes and it's really like she did this makeup technique the other day that I was like "Ooh, I'm gonna have to explore this she did really bright eyeliner or eyeshadow like that place on your between your cheekbones and uh-huh. your eyeballs and it was weird but it was so cool oh, and I was it. like I feel like this is going to have applications in some other costume at some point. But that play with her definitely keeps me very connected to that high femme stuff. And the the costumes and the things that are put away get to come out. They're not taking over my closet anymore. They're more kind of like under my bed, which makes me sad. But it's the reality of having a small space. It's the excuse to bring that stuff out and the reminder that it will always be with me. Oh, <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with me. It was a blast. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Robin, Mm -hmm. I have a wait. What? Ooh, for you. (laughs) I, this is going to be a little ranty though. Ooh, my favorite. Yeah. Is it a feminist rant? It's, 
Yeah, it's got it's it's multi-layered. Excellent. Have you seen the Fexi commercials? Um, yes, I actually really like the Fexi commercials. They're great. Yeah, right. Can I, you describe them to anyone who hasn't seen them? Okay. Well, first, I want to go into my childhood. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Because <laughs> everything starts there. <laughs> um, I dream a genie. Oh, that room that she had inside the bottle. I loved so much and as an adult have thought about it as basically a metaphor for her vagina. Oh, and I always felt like I want to live in this genie's vagina. (laughs) It's the coolest room. (laughs) But that's what the Fexi commercials remind me of where I'm like, oh, Alexa, is it Alexa or Alexis? Alexis. Alexis is in a, um, is in her vagina. And it reminded me in the palette and a lot of the furniture was very, I dream a genie. And I was like, yes, I'll go into Alexis's vagina as well. You know? Yes. She uh, is such a perfect, like that, the ad campaign is fantastic. I love it so much. I love her. I love the room. And I was like, Ooh, I cannot wait to research this innovative yeah. new birth control. You are selling me on it. I'm uh, all about it. I was into it because I was like, this is this is what this they're targeting me. Yes. Yeah. Really smart advertising. Mm-hmm. Do you know how Fexi works? No. You're gonna be mad. Ooh. <laughs> You're going to be so mad. You like getting me mad. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I'm going to give a little bit of backstory. Okay. This is like a, you know, tech company, like sort of med tech company with a lot of, you know, in the business world, the mar- the information they have going out is it is a woman-led company. All of these investors came around to support her concept and it's going to revolutionize yeah. birth control. Sounds great. It's so fantastic, right? Except uh, the revolution in birth control. I'm going to describe to you. I'm going to read to you how they describe it. Okay. And you're going to know right off the bat what's up, I think. But the average person is not going to know this from how they describe it. Okay. Fexi is an innovative gel that works by maintaining vaginal pH. Okay. No hormones needed. Fexi doesn't cause weight gain, mood swings, blood clots, and is completely hormone-free. Use only when you need it. Fexi is used in the moment right before each and every sex act. Once in the vagina, Fexi works immediately and lasts up to an hour for each act of sex. No daily commitment required. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I have I have comments. So... It immediately addresses a lot of the frustration that people have with hormone-based therapies. I get it. And you don't have to take it every day. There are, you know, some people have varying degrees of reactions. Trust me, I was put on orthotricycline to regulate my uh, period when I was in college. I had 10 years of yeast infections after chronic, after getting that birth control but can i just make a comment please. about the language that yeah. annoys me so much because i'm like can we just say what you mean after each sex act you can use it up to it works an hour 
use it per sex act. Okay. Yeah. What is a sex act? Mm-hmm. You're talking about ejaculation mm-hmm. in a vagina. But that's that's the only real sex. Right. Rock. Well, and that's what's so annoying about that kind of verbiage. Not only, well, great, you finally said sex instead of each time being intimate, which would be more annoying. And that would be very 10 years ago. But it's like, we're still not at the space where you can say, after each time you have sperm in your vag, you know, you it's can like, reapply it. I'm sure there's a nicer way to say it than I did. But, and you know, they're saying no need to rely on a partner to bring a condom, no need to head into the doctor's office yeah. for an injection. <laughs> so many procedure. women, so many women are relying on their partner to bring a <laughs> condom. I'm, yeah. For real. Like, yeah. oh my God. Anyway, so, all right. This is that's annoying to me that essentially what this functions as is like to relieve the dick from having to do anything that it doesn't want to do so that you can prevent pregnancy. Now, here's the thing that is really interesting. The innovative gel works by maintaining a vaginal pH. So what? I did a deep dive on this. Mm-hmm. It changes your pH in your vagina so that sperm cannot live in there. What does this do to your overall vaginal health over time? Because we know that delicate pH in our vaginal canals can influence things like bacterial infections. pH can also, if you are someone who has chronic yeast infections, can kind of mess those things up as well. But especially with bacteria, you, you want your body to have a normal pH in order to maintain your overall health. So why are we so thrilled and excited We now have a gel that's going to fuck with our pH so that it kills sperm. So, but it's saying that it maintains a pH, but actually what they're doing is changing your pH. Yes. That sounds like a disaster because I can't even use soap that isn't pH balanced. So we're taking the issues that exist from hormone therapies and we are potentially replacing them with new issues. And I am not saying that we shouldn't have both options on the market. Right. But people need to be informed and understand that this doesn't mean that you're going to have a symptomless birth control. A truly innovative birth control would be figuring out how to do something with a penis. Yes. (laughs) So It's like, it's like they're like, okay, the way we're going to solve the problem is to go to the most complex ecosystem yes in the body yes and and it, it sometimes it seems like the only real interest in um women's health is around preventing birth yeah you know it's not around uh vaginal health and everything it's like uh, like i'm starting to get the you know the past couple of years like i've had chronic yeast infection problems mixed with like bacterial infection and like back and forth and all of this stuff and i never dealt with that before it's almost like as soon as yours dried up <laughs> mine started so thank you for that Sarah. yes <laughs> but um but nobody's being like really taught about this stuff. They just throw medications to like get the problem to go away, but it never totally goes away unless you have a healthy ecosystem. Yeah. And all of these birth control, including condoms, fuck with that ecosystem. Yeah. I want to be 
clear here that I'm not saying that this might not be a better option for some people. Some people have much less sensitive right. sensitivity to like their pH being messed with. And some people go through hormone therapies and don't have a really bad response to it. So certainly if you're someone who's not responded well to hormone therapies uh, as <clears throat> a form of birth control, give it a try, but go in informed knowing that there are side effects to messing with your pH balance. Yeah. You're going to be opening yourself up to more bacterial infections. My understanding is the idea of the pH in the vagina being a certain level is to maintain the flora, yep. at, to keep the bacteria at bay, keep the yeast happy you know, and everybody get and but also allow for it be the right pH that sperm doesn't get totally um, decimated. Yeah. But it actually does destroy a lot of uh, sperm. Yep. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's frustrating. I feel frustrated. I don't know that there's a perfect answer to this, but I don't want to be sold this like miracle cure that then just actually replaces the existing issues with a whole host of other issues. Yeah, because nothing is sexier than getting a bacterial infection after every time you fuck. You know, I'm hoping that there are some medical providers out there that have are gaining some good knowledge about this and helping people navigate if this really is a good choice for them. Yeah. And then all of the, you know, STI issues that can come from that also. I mean, if you're you're not whatever. Yeah, it does not using barriers in the first place. So I do think that they are promoting it not as an STI sure. prevention. This is really for fluid bonded folk. Yeah. That was my really fun. <laughs> Wait, what? I love a rant. I love a rant. Well, Sarah, we did it again. I learned a lot about you. I really appreciate um, what you were saying about how uh, femininity formed in your life, how it's been able to be a tool sometimes a mask, sometimes mm -hmm. armor, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but at its mm -hmm. core is really um, an expression of self. And I've learned over the years from you literally how to do that sort of thing. And um, I don't know, I just loved hearing you talk about it, learning more about you. I was, I learned, or I perhaps was just surprised. Maybe it's that thing that you really take for granted when you exist within your own identity, your own lived experience. To just that, like, it's unique to have the kind of connection that I have had to my femininity over mm -hmm. the years. Like, seeing that kind of mirrored back in your questions and just in how you've responded to things over the years, it's like, oh, every now and then it's just nice to have people reflect back to you that, like, oh, that is like a really authentic, unique. We don't understand our own uniqueness. Mm -hmm. And I guess I hadn't really thought much about that being something that was as deep. I mean, I, I obviously think of it as being deeply empowering, but that that's sort of my connection to my gender and my gender expression mm -hmm. being such a, you know, authentic thing about myself. I don't know. It was just, it was like a really nice reflection. Yeah. And all of that. It's a kind of... um hearing that feedback from people, it's like a, a validation, not necessarily that you're doing something right, but just like an, an acknowledgement of, of who you are, you know, 
and of course you're doing it right. But I mean, and in the way of like, I'm not approving or disapproving. It's just like, here you are. That's so interesting. It's, it's different from how, how I do things. And um, well, and I do think that there can be so much stacked up against us Mm -hmm. and being there's so, you know, so many societal expectations, Mm -hmm. then you have familial expectations, then you get into social groups and there's social pressures and it was a nice reminder to me of like, oh, right. Sometimes overcoming all of these pressures, like that in and of itself, just being your true authentic self is an accomplishment. Yes. After we had that conversation, it actually took me back to a much earlier conversation we had had when we developed our uh, negotiation to impact uh-huh. series. Yeah. Yeah where we were talking about kink dynamics and, you know, fantasies of old and if they still serve us and all this sort of stuff. And that time I was really getting deeply connected to like my femme dominance rather than this more submissive role that had been kind of projected onto me because of my femininity. Mm -hmm. So I've actually been steeping in a lot. I've been thinking about that a lot and like, okay, it is definitely a call to action for me to be thinking about what are some ways to be more intentional right now around my femininity, both in like kind of performative play in just like existing out, like the world is opening up, getting back out there in this way, because it is deeply empowering. Why am I not trying to source that energy as much? So yeah, I, I did feel inspired. I will say I've been feeling inspired in that vein as well, as far as um, my own look, because it has been, you know, so long of not interacting with the world. And now that I'm starting to do it and enjoy it, I'm like, I got to chop my hair up. I got to bust out my eyeliner. I just bought some like hardcore black lipstick. Yes. The Dykedale events coming up. I'm like, I'm going to black out my teeth and paint my lips black and have a good old time at a daytime beer bus. Yes. Well, and there's so much, obviously, like fashion and the mainstream interpretations of this are really vapid, but there is so much value in like finding your personal style, expressing. Not everyone relates to how they present externally as like a source of empowerment Mm -hmm. but I do think that people who think about it with intentionality and like originality it's like really deeply ingrained part of our identity yeah and it's we've lived in like sweats and uh, indoors for a long I'll tell you what I cannot wear regular pants anymore but I am out there looking for the fancy sweats that I can wear outside the house and not feel like totally sloppy. I'm thinking about it more in this like art expression. For me, it's like what you, what I'm wearing and and what I'm putting on my face has a lot to do with like art. And so even when I'm picking up the kids, I'm like, oh, I'm going to wear these. Like I'm going to wear my boots and my, and my, um, skeleton shirt or whatever and like put on some actual makeup this time of just but you know makeups for me is like just half a stick of eyeliner um and then after and here we go we both wore eyeliner today in fact i know which i'm really proud of us for. <laughs> but you have please tell me that cat suits are still on the table if you're ditching regular pants oh but cat suits please. are comfortable okay okay yeah no this is like a signature your cat suit 
I love, I mean, if it was just the day to day and it didn't matter who was around me or who was seeing me, I feel like a like cozy cat suit, like a velour cat suit would be my go-to. <laughs> I actually don't feel that comfortable being totally naked and it doesn't have to do with body insecurity necessarily, but it's more about a, I like clothing touching my body. I like soft things touching my body. I'm wearing velour pants, sweatpants right now. And I would love to be encased in that, yeah. but in kind of tight, yeah. you know, yeah. I wish I had fur. <laughs> is what it comes down to. <laughs> I wish I was furry, like a, like a short hair cat, sometimes a long haired one. Oh, I love that. Anyway, off topic, uh, off track. Thank you everyone for listening. Yes. Yes. I hope you have very comfortable times with the aesthetic that you enjoy the most. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just your own body hair. Yeah. And please tell us about what you do for your cozy, comfy aesthetic or your going out art piece or whatever you want to tell us about what your fuck yeah moment is this week, what you're feeling good about things that you want to tell us about what you heard on the podcast. We want to hear about it. We want to share it on the podcast. So please let us know. And we are going to have a guest <gasps> next time. We're so excited. We're not going to reveal anything else other than that, except stay tuned because we have a very exciting guest coming your way rate review subscribe like friend fuck yeah pod that's where we are until next time bye, bye. Knocking them out of the park. Fuck Yeah Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Sarah Tom Chesson, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is produced and performed by She, Her, Sir. You can find out more about what we're up to at fuckyeahpod.com or reach out directly at fyeahpod at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the pod, give us a hand. Rate review, subscribe, wherever you listen, and make sure to share it with a few friends. Thanks so much for tuning in.